let's jump into the Word this morning, and I'm going to have you go ahead and get ready. First uh, Chronicles chapter 12 is where we're going to eventually be. But let me do a little bit of a reminder this week. We're talking about uh, trustworthiness. I mean, you know, we sang about the goodness of God this morning. And part of the reason that we can trust the Lord is because we know God's heart towards us is good. Can I get an amen on that? The Bible says Jesus went around doing good. Uh, preaching the gospel, healing uh, those who were oppressed of the enemy, healing their bodies, and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And so, the, the goodness of God is a core of who He is, which is why we can trust Him. How many of you know, as we continue to move towards Christ-likeness, uh, the goodness in our own hearts, because of what Jesus has done, should translate into some amazing relationships? Um, and I want to encourage you, the church, I believe the church of Jesus Christ should be marked, number one, by the way we love each other. The Bible says that the world, the world will tell that we're Christians by the way that we love. Amen? But we should have the best relationships on the planet. All right? Uh, and, uh, and I just want to say, uh, I would put my relationships up with anybody on the planet. I told you last week, I'm a rich man. The reason I'm a rich man is because of all of you uh, and because of Jesus who binds us together in covenant love and covenant relationship. But I'm just telling you, the church should not be a place of phoniness, whitewash, fake smiles, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Uh, the church should be a place of the deepest, most powerful, most loyal, most God-honoring, lasting unconditional love uh, relationships anywhere on the planet. And, and I would just say I would, I, I would brag on you guys and what God's doing uh, all across the globe, all right? Uh, and I'd say that not in a term of flattery, but because that's what God's producing here, and that's what God should produce here. So as I shared with you in, in, in our vision as we move forward, please do not apply what we're talking about to your neighbor or to your spouse or to your boss Apply it to yourself. In other words, what's the goal of listening to the Word? It's for Christ to transform me. So every time I preach the Word, I'm not preaching at you. I'm actually preaching through to you, but after the Word's already worked on me. Because I need the Word, and I need to hear it as much as you. So I'm not up on a pedestal. I, 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 I get... I get transformed every week as I realize, how I many know you cannot preach something that you're not at least endeavoring to live or you're a hypocrite? So I don't want to ever be a hypocrite, which means I am committed to incredible relationships and to loving you the way that uh, I'm challenging you to love each other and to love me. But it all starts with understanding, and we talked about that last week. People must feel known to trust you. And the process of trust begins by listening and understanding people. Now, how many of you know we do a much better job in life and in relationships if we would just shut our mouths more often and choose to listen to people? Now, listen to what the Bible says. I love the straightforwardness of the Scripture. Proverbs 8, verse 13. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Wow. Spouting off. Have any of you ever spouted off in your marriage relationship? You just, there I go, spouted right off because you did not listen. Or how many of you know even in situations uh, in churches where there's disagreements, if you listen to one party but you don't listen to both parties, you can have the tendency of spouting off with a wrong conclusion. Let me give you another translation that I like even better, the good news translation. Check this one out. It says, listen before you answer. If you don't, you're being stupid <laughs> and insulting. 
Stupid and insulting. Have any of you ever fallen prey to that? I know I have. Sometimes you jump to a conclusion before you've had a chance to hear the person out. And if you have a lifestyle of being stupid and insulting, how many of you know you will not have good relationships? And in a relationship and marriage, when you're having a disagreement, if both of you are spouting off at the same time, then nobody is listening, and you're both being stupid and insulting. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be mad at pastor. That's in the Bible, all right? That's in the Bible. (laughs) I had someone come up to me one time, and they said, you know, my child was listening to you preach, and they said, Daddy, Pastor said stupid. Evidently, in their family, they weren't supposed to say stupid, but I, I stand corrected here. Be biblical. If someone's being stupid, <laughs> let them know they're being stupid, all right? It's a biblical word. All right. Here's the problem. When you fail to listen and understand, what we unknowingly communicate is that we're really only interested in ourselves. The person that's always on the defense is a person you can't trust because at the end of the day, all they care about is themselves. They care about being right. They care about uh, winning the argument. And you can't give your heart to somebody who simply is focused on themselves. Am I speaking the truth here? So, So how do, you know, the church should be a place where we love to listen to other people's stories. Because if you listen to their story, you take the time, you don't spout off. If you listen to their story, they'll open their heart to you. And again, why do we want people to open our hearts? Because when people open their hearts, they start sharing what's going on. They start sharing their life. And how many of you know this should be a place of transformation and healing? But you'll never give somebody the all-access card to your heart if you don't trust them first and foremost. You have to know that they truly care. And I just want to say this again. You know, I, I could be having a, a disagreement, a strong disagreement with my wife, and I learned I'm going to practice what Pastor said. I'm not going to spout off. So she's sharing her heart with me, and I'm like this. Now, I mean, you know, I'm listening, but I'm not listening. I'm just quiet, but I'm not communicating that I'm after her heart. Like when she sees that face. That does not say, oh, let me share the deepest part of my emotion and my heart with you. That says, my husband is stupid and insulting. That's what that says. (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) But here's the beautiful part, and this is what we talked about last week. When you trust somebody, you can forget about having to watch your back. Here's why. Because they're watching your back. And when you surround yourself with people who are just as concerned with your success as they are with their own success, now you've got some amazing things happen. When you build a work team and you have employees that are concerned about guarding each other's backs, now you have a team that where the creativity and the productivity goes off the, off the charts because you've got people that are not focused on being defensive all the time. And I share with you, this is just something I love to share with people, but you can't share it unless you mean it, but please mean it, and then please share it. Here's a little phrase. I'm committed to your success. What would happen if you were part of a church where everybody around you uh, was committed to your success? And when I say your success, this is not like to the American dream. No, 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 we're not doing that. We're committed to your success as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
We want to see you become all that Christ intended for you to become. And as long as you're in our care, we're going to leave you better than we found you. We're going to leave you better than we found you. So I, I, I can say that. that if you're visiting here today, you, you've stepped into an environment of people who are committed to loving you in such a way that you will be better off when you leave than when you can't. And if you'll stay in this culture and be deeply rooted in this culture, you'll be transformed and you'll be loved well. I, I want to say that from the bottom of my heart and mean it, uh, it like a living stone's good housekeeping seal of approval, all right? We're going to leave you better than we found you. Um, so that's the goal, and it simply means it, there's a carelessness, a carefreeness that happens when you are in healthy relationships with people who have your back. Now, here's the thing. We automatically begin to personalize it again. We say, well, you know, I don't know about that. You know, let me ask you this. Are you somebody that has other people's back? It's amazing how we begin to focus on what is not happening in our lives. I, I just want to challenge you. Are you that person to somebody else? Because here's what I found. If you'll be that to other people, you'll attract people who want to be that to you. Have you noticed this in marriage? When you actually genuinely care about your spouse's well-being, you find that your spouse actually will genuinely care about your well-being. It's amazing how the, the good cycle works and how the crazy cycle works just the opposite way. Put two selfish, broken people together who only care about themselves, and you have absolute hell on your hands. But you put two people who are actually focusing on the other person and thinking about taking care of them, and they have that person's back, and you have a relationship that's incredible and getting better and better and better with each passing year. So that was the first principle we talked about last week. Let's talk about the second principle today, uh, a second principle that is essential to trust, and that is being committed to your good, all right? Even when somebody understands what you need, it doesn't mean that they're committed to your good. How I many you know con artists know what you need? They're great at calling you up or working out things, and they'll convince you that they've heard and they understood, and they're there to meet your need, but they really aren't committed to your good. They're committed to their good. Uh, or how about Judas coming up to Jesus? Of course, Jesus knew what was going down, but Judas comes up, uh, and the kiss on the cheek was not a demonstration of affection. It was a cover-up for wrong motives. Well, in, in church and in life and in business and in relationships, there are people who might listen to you, but at the end of the day, you have to ask the question, why? Why are they getting close? Why are they acting the way that they're acting? Why are they being kind? Why, are, why, 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 why? Because the issue of motive is really, really huge. So let's check this out today. Of course, what is a motive? It's simply an underlying reason for any action. It asks the question, why is he or she doing this? Who is it really for? What are they trying to get out of this? Do they want something good from me too? Or is it just about them? And real trust is built not only on a thorough understanding, uh, but by making sure the other person's um, motive is right, meaning that they are for your good. Now, I told you to get, open up 1 Chronicles chapter 12. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Go ahead and, and look at that with me. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 16. Little background here. David is on the run from Saul. I might point out here that David perfectly exemplifies the first essential of trust. How many of you know Saul could be absolutely carefree and careless when he was around David because David was absolutely committed to Saul's good? Amen. 
David never did anything to hurt Saul. Even when he had an opportunity to hurt Saul, to take him out, he never did. He honored Saul to the very end. So how many you know the first, the first uh, essential of trust was already there for David? Saul was carefree when he was around David. But nevertheless, check this out. Uh, David was the epitome of trustworthiness, and yet Saul is full of jealous rage, and he's on an all-out mission to destroy David. Now, pause here. You can be the greatest employee, the greatest friend, but how many of you know other people still have to deal with what's going on in their heart? David was perfect. All David did was go out and win battles for Saul. He risked his life for Saul, and yet Saul's response to David's perfect example of trustworthiness was full-blown rage, insane rage. So, I mean, you you cannot control other people's responses to to your goodness or to your willingness to bless people. We're going to see what David did here anyway. In this chapter, we're given an account of the men who came to literally lock shields with David while he's in exile. David's an outlaw with a death sentence. So how many of you know when people want to come and join your team, when you're running for your life and you're an outlaw with a death sentence over your head, you should probably check their motives because that's usually not a good drawing card. Come join me and you can run for your life. You can live in caves. You know, so when people are running around you wanting to join your team under those circumstances, you're, you're normal to be a little bit suspicious as to what their motive might be. So take a look at verse 16. It says, others from Benjamin. Now, what, Saul, what tribe did Saul come from? Benjamin. Okay, now we got another conflict of interest here. Why are all these relatives of Saul coming to join David while he's running for his life from Saul? So David's checking this out. Others from Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. And look what it says in verse 17. David went out to meet them. At the end of the day, trust is about being able to stand face-to-face with people because trust is relational and trust is personal. So I love this. David didn't send somebody out to talk to them. David walks out himself. And he meets these men that are coming to join his team, all right, to join his army. It says, um, David went out to meet them. And here's what David said. If you have come in peace to help me, we are friends. I think in the King James Version, it says, my heart shall be knit unto you. What a powerful picture. If you're coming to help me, then here's what God's going to do. He's going to knit our hearts together. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But look at what he says next. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies when I'm innocent... Then may uh, the God of our ancestors see it and punish you. So what is David doing here? He's addressing the issue of motive. He's saying, why are you here? Are you coming in peace? Are you here to help me or are you here to betray me? In other words, what is your motive or your intent? He says, if your intentions are good, we can be friends. We We can be knit together. We can move forward. But I want you to see here, David's operating from a clear conscience. And Paul said this, you got you to live and fight for a clear conscience between God and people. So if you are operating vertically with a clear conscience before God, then your heart's going to be open toward people. Now, how many of you know if you're in the people-loving business, which is what we do here, how many of you know the reason we are here today is to love Jesus and love you? 
So for a church not to be loving and for people not to run around and greet one another and for pastors just to hide in their offices and then sneak out and preach and then sneak back off the stage and never talk to any people, you should be suspect of those people. Because why am I here today? You. Because I love you. Because I'm for you. I'm not a superstar that sneaks in and out the side door of the office to preach sermons. We're here to build people. And so David's operating with a clear conscience before God, which means he's able to have a big heart towards people. He basically says, look, I am here to do nothing but bless you. I am innocent for the charges that are against me, and my conscience is clear before God, and my heart is open towards you as much as it can be. Where is your heart back towards me? All right? So take a look. Let's keep moving on here. David relied upon the Lord to protect him from betrayal. And can I just say this? If you're involved in ministry, which is all of you, did I get the right crowd? How many of you are involved in full-time ministry? Trick question. I'm going to keep asking until I see all. How many of you are involved in full-time ministry? Full-time ministry. You belong to Jesus, and there's no compartments. All right, I'm talking to the right crowd, full-time ministry only. If you're involved in full-time ministry, it means you have to continually open up your heart to trust people. But, Pastor, how do I know if I'm going to be betrayed? You don't. You trust the Lord with your heart. And if your heart gets squashed, you go back to the Lord with your heart. And you say, Lord, I forgive, and I bless, and I bring my heart to you, and I ask you with a clear conscience between you and me to help me love these people that you put in my path. If you're in relationships, they're risky and they're messy, and of course you're going to have people that aren't going to uh, have the best motives. So what? Why should you allow that to poison your heart so that you're suspicious and jaded and bitter? Don't live that way. Keep living it with a heart open towards people and with a pure motive to be good and to bless people. And take a look at what happens next. This is good. Verse 18, then the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, comes upon Amasai, the leader of the 30, and he said, we are yours, David. We are on your side, son of Jesse. I want you to see something. He's speaking here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the Hebrew, it literally says, the Spirit clothed Amasa. Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit clothed him. This is what I want you to see from this particular instance. Godly, honoring, high-trust relationships are literally relationships that are clothed in the Holy Spirit. There's something powerful about honor. There's something powerful about uh, saying, you know what, I'm with you and I'm committed to you. That's an honorable statement to come out of your mouth. It takes the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill those words, but it's an honorable statement. But there's something about these kind of relationships that the Holy Spirit blesses, and I want you to see this is something we should all be pursuing. They publicly, face-to-face, declare their support for David. They said, David, we are for you. To put it in my paraphrase, this is what he's saying. Me and, the, and the, the, I'm the leader of these 30 warriors, We are committed, David, to your success. Wow, what a powerful statement. We're for you. We're on your side. All that I am, all that I am, I'm committing to you. 
And look at what he says next. He releases a blessing over David. Peace and prosperity be with you and success to all who help you for your God is the one who helps you. Now, they're speaking blessing over David. They're speaking peace, prosperity, and success. Now, how many of you have ever been to our starting point class? I think many of you. If you haven't, we're having another one coming up. But it's the class where basically we say, you know what? We welcome you. This is what we're about. And what we're looking from you is to say, Pastor, we're for you, and we're for what God's doing here. We're, we want to be a part of what God's doing at Living Stones. We, we are committed to your su- success. Remember I said peace is the fruit of high-trust relationships because when you're living among people that have your back, your mind is free and at peace. You're not living in anxiety and fear. You're not suspicious of who's going to stick it to you or do you wrong. You have an openness about you and a joy about you and a peace about you because your mind is free from these things. I think of the blessing of the, of the priest in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. That, that is a blessing from somebody. Uh, a blessing from the Lord through the priest who's simply saying, I am committed to seeing your success, all right? A powerful, powerful blessing. So here's the deal. It says later in chapter uh, 12, 1 Chronicles, verse 38, all these men came in battle array to Hebron with the single purpose of making David king over Israel. In fact, everyone in Israel agreed that David should be their king. And so I want you to see this single purpose making David king. Now, we could preach an entire another series on how David is a type of Jesus Christ and how our, our response to King David is a picture of our response to Jesus. I am yours. We are yours. All that I am and all that I have, I give to you. I am committed to your success. How I many you know that's what it means to be born again? That's what we say to the Lord. All that I am is yours. Uh, we give ourselves completely. And I want you to see something powerful here. Look at, uh, look at the last verse in our section, verse 18. So David let them join him, and he made them officers over his troops. Now, notice the principles of trust that are operative in this exchange. David says, why are you here? I'm curious of your motive. There's not a big upside right now to hanging out with me. And they said, David, we believe in you. We see God's hand on your life, and we want to be a part of your cause. And David said, great. If you're coming in peace, in other words, you're coming to do me good, then our hearts can be knit together, and we can do this vision together. And how many of you know when you have people who are here with the right motive to build, look at the question David asked, are you here to do me good? In other words, are your actions going to be producing good? Are they for me, not against me? Again, I I go back to the scriptures. What does God say through Christ? If God be for me, who can be against me? In other words, in the local church, are, are are you on the Lord's side? Are you part of what he's trying to do in a place? Because here's how this process works. You never put anybody in leadership until you know the motive of their heart. And can I just say this? In this series so far, we've only been two weeks into this series. This is the third week. I've had two people already pull me aside, completely different folks, completely separate, and said, Pastor, thank you for pastoring me because you gave me a no, N-O, 
or a pause. In one situation, a person needed to take a break from the ministry that they were in because there were some issues going on in their life. How I many of we just got done singing about holiness unto the Lord? Sometimes we need to take care of some issues that are not holy or where there's a stronghold. How many of you know when, you're, when your leadership asks you to take a pause, it's not because they're punishing you, it's because they love you. But if you get offended because they said pause or they said no and you get offended, you just revealed your impure motives. Because at that point, it's not about us, it's about you. And can I just tell you this? The truest indication of whether a man or woman is submitted to Jesus Christ and to the local church is how they handle discipline. I told you a few weeks ago, most people are not at church because they want to be pastored. They're at church because they love the cool worship team. They love the vibe. They love the coffee. But don't you dare try to pastor them. Or they're out of here. Because their motives are wrong. And if you put those people in leadership... They will make a massive mess about what God's trying to do. But people who can listen to correction because their default is not insecurity, but their default is, I trust you, have my back. That's why we're having this conversation, because you have my back. And I tell people we're having this conversation Because we love you, because if we didn't, we would ignore this. It's a compliment to you that we're having this conversation. Because it's much easier to not care and pretend like everything's great. But I've also learned that only works in the short run. It's a lousy long-term strategy. It's a terrible long-term strategy. So David says, come. Let's let our heart be knit together. And as our heart is knit together, what does he do? He says, I'm looking for some leaders. Can I just tell you, there are so many leaders in this place. But we're just starting this relationship. Some of you are COVID babies. You got born out of COVID and then God dropped you here and you're amazing people. I got so many elders in this church, deacons, ministry heads, pastors in this church. Holy cow, we're, it's amazing. Let me tell you what God's doing right now. And, and, and I really believe the reason that you're here, some of you have had, you've been literally put on the shelf. You feel like you've been put on the shelf because you were like involved in everything at your other church. And now you're just sitting here like a regular believer, just being a child of God. And God's purging you from all of those internal carnal motivations to be important. Because he's trying to tell you you're already important. Not because of anything you do, but because of who you are. But here's what's happening. So he's knitting our hearts together because God's fixing to do something awesome in this place. All right? And, uh, And we're going to need lots of leaders. But not leaders who have a wrong motive, but leaders who have been purged of all that junk. 
You know, 10 years ago, if you would ask, Pastor, what's, what's the vision? What's the vision? I would have said, ah, pull out my scroll. This is our 50-year vision. If you ask me now, Pastor, what's the vision? I don't care about my vision. In fact, I don't even want it to be MY at the end of the vision. I don't even like that word, MY. God, what are you doing? Just tell us. Because we don't want to screw it up, all right? We don't want to get in the way. I don't honestly have a vision past Sunday right now. Because if God hasn't spoken, I'm not interested. Because it's his church and it's what he's doing. Come on. I want him to trust us and trust me. Find me trustworthy. Now, that doesn't mean God's not full of vision, but it just simply means sometimes we get way out ahead of him and something becomes a little bit more about us than it is about him. And that's a scary place to be. Let me quickly go through the end of this. I'm going to have to edit here as we go because you guys are talking way too much. First of all, if, if the second part of trust is a commitment to do good, a motivation to do good, let me ask you this question. Are, are, are you and I good with God? How many of you know that's the, where God wants to purge our motives? Have anybody found that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and that you can lie to yourself about why you're doing what you do and baptize it in Jesus' name and put to the glory of God on it and it's still about you? Or is it just me that's had that happen over time? I could tell you lots of stories where God revealed the motives of my heart and left me broken and in tears because I thought I was doing it for him, but it was really for him and me together, co-pilot. If God's your co-pilot, tear that bumper sticker off of your car right now. God God is not interested in being a co-anything, all right? This is why, look at what Proverbs 16, verse 2 says, all the ways of people are pure in their eyes, but the Lord tests the motives. That's why David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything, Lord, that offends you. We need to keep praying these prayers because if our hearts are not with the proper motive toward the Lord, if we're focusing on other things and other motives, we get, everything gets twisted in the church. It gets to be perverted. Let me ask you this question. Are we committed to good at home? Are our motives rooted in blessing our spouse and blessing our children? Husbands, listen to this. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how did, that, how did he love the church? He gave up his life for her. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands, Love your wives as you love yourself, your own body. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Does your spouse know that you're absolutely committed to their good? Let me, let me cut to the chase. How many problems would be avoided in marriage if the, one of the partners would ask this question? If I do this, what will it feel like to be him or her? And how will it affect our family? If we ask this question, there'd be no affairs, there'd be no over-budget spending, there'd be no pursuing one's hobbies or careers or activities that cause people to abandon their spouses, there'd be no addictions, there would be none of those things because we would pause and we would ask this question, is what I'm doing committing to the goodness and the blessing of my spouse? And if its answer is no, then don't do it. 
If both people acted that way, you would have the most incredible relationships in your home. Young people that are still at home, if you ask the question, I'm going to pick on some kids this morning. Is what I'm doing around the house committing to the good of my mom and dad? Or am I a little hellraiser because it's all about me? Why don't you start developing a high-trust life by being committed to the blessing of your parents through your thoughtfulness and kindness? Um, is it good at home? Let me meddle just for a little bit. I got two minutes to meddle. Are we good at church? Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 2.20. I don't have anybody else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Christ. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Christians. He's talking about church people. He says, let me tell you about Timothy. Timothy actually cares for the welfare of the church. Can I tell you, I see Pastor Andrew over here somewhere. Where did you go, Pastor Andrew? Okay. The reason I knew he had a call of God on his life is because he would call me up at times and say, Pastor, I was just thinking about such and such, and these were all church issues. And his heart was for me, and his heart was for you. He didn't have a job here. He didn't have a paycheck here. He had a high trust committed to the good of the church of Jesus Christ heart. Do you know how rare that is? Listen to what the Bible says about people in the church, all right? This is Jude chapter 12. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, potluck, dinners, communion, commemorating the Lord's love, they're like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who only care for themselves. Now, let me end with this. Don't be those kind of people. But can I just tell you, everybody that comes to church does not come to church with a pure motive. There are some people who have really a demonic assignment on their lives, and that's why they're at your church. And can I just tell you, at this church, when we find those people and they resist any type of loving counsel, we send them on their way. Because we're not playing around. This is Jesus' church. What happens here is really important. And if you're trying to shepherd a move of God, everybody that comes through the doors is not sent by Jesus. Some are sent from hell. And you have to know the difference. Now, let me read a quote here from Charles Spurgeon. I love reading quotes from other pastors so you can be mad at them and not me. All right. It's always great to quote someone that's dead, all right? (laughs) If you're coming to church, he said, to pick holes and quiz and question and find fault and talk about inconsistencies and so forth, then you may pass on and join some other army. But if ye become peaceably to our Lord and to us then I offer you a hearty welcome. We're not anxious to enlist men who love to have the preeminence, nor men with a fierce temper, nor unforgiving spirits, nor proud, envious lovers of strife. 
We want only those who have the mind of Christ. Come peaceably, Spurgeon says, or don't come at all. Now, that's a good word. I close with a practical story. I'm one minute over, all right? Thank God. Hey, when that parking lot is paved next Sunday, hallelujah, then, uh, then you guys will be able to, like, burn out of here with record time, and I'll maybe squeeze an extra minute out. I actually had a dear sister show up at our starting point class one year, and we always passed the mic, and we let it, you know, tell us about yourself, and how long have you been coming to Living Stones, and what do you like about the church? And this is what she said. I'm paraphrasing. Well, I've been to about 10 different churches. At the first one, they did such and such. And at the second one, the pastor was a moron. And at the third one, you know, this happened. At the fourth one, and, but this is what she said after her analysis of 10 previous churches. But so far, we like it at Living Stones. <laughs> I was this far, I'm, I'm so proud of my maturity, I was this far from saying, ma'am, you might as well hit the road now because it's only a matter of time before I'm going to tick you off, and I will be one of those moronic pastors you could add to number 11 on your list. And so let me just tell you, so we open our arm wide to this couple. Let me ask you another quiz question. Are they here? <laughs> No, they're not here. Surprise! Because it was only a matter of time. Because their motives were terrible. Because their heart was twisted. Because they were in it for the wrong reason. And isn't it amazing? You can have 2,000 people having great relationships, but one person that knows it's all fake. None of it's real. Those people at Living Stones, talking about you guys. And now we have what Spurgeon didn't have, social media. I'm just warning you. If I ever see a bunch of you-know-what on social media about our family, and you think you'll ever have a service leadership position in their church, you got another thing coming. If I'm going to extend trust to that kind of spirit, I am a fool. So if you want to vomit about your church family on social media, I can tell you right now, move on down the highway because it's only a matter of time before you screw everything up in your church family. All right, stand on your feet. I got to pray. In pastoral love. Did you all hear that? Are you, are you feeling the love of Jesus? You should be. I'm trying to help you out. But if you come in peace, if you come in peace, we can do great things together. Lord, bless these amazing folks. Use us this week. Help us be great lovers of people. And Lord, may your purposes stand and move forth powerfully with the army that you're assembling here at Living Stones. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.